An industry under pressure. Innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. All right. All right, folks. Before we get started today, got a couple of... Well, before we get started, we are getting started. This is getting started. Before before we get to the main thing, um, because uh, it's always best to keep the main thing the main thing, except when you're a podcast host and you can do whatever you want. So before we get to the main thing, um, a couple, couple things I got to comment on. Uh, okay, so... Oh, the first is... Uh, I got I got some great thanks to uh, to my friends out there uh, who sent me some good comments after uh, last week's episode and um, and if you missed that one you should go back and listen to it because it's a little it's kind of fun um, and and I have some reflections on that that I want to uh, just throw in today just because it seems like I should I will say that uh, Paula Doyle from Cognite has not uh, responded uh, she, she's not accepted my invitation. Yet to come and, and and to be on the show uh, to talk about her uh, her stuck in the '90s comment, uh, but um, so but but she hasn't said no either. So if you happen to know if, if there's any cognite folks out there and you know Paula, uh, you should tell her that uh, I'm sure my email probably went in the spam folder. So so uh, tell her that she, that this is her big chance to get on the tech show and and, and talk about that. Um, let's see what else. Oh, uh, the the ethanol, the ethanol thing. So. Um, and, and I did, you know, I did put the caveat in that I'm not an economist or anything like one. I don't play one on TV, but, um, so I was, I was talking with a friend of mine about this whole thing, you know, cause my, my, my point was if you, if you make something out of, if you, if you try to bring the price of something down by making it out of cheaper materials, but you still have a supply problem, and demand is still outpacing supply, then the whole thing becomes more expensive again, you know, before long. Anyway, um, and so the, so a friend of mine said, well, the thing is, though, that uh, when you're talking about blending ethanol, um, or as I referred to, I think, corn juice, into in with the gasoline, um, the so the one ingredient, the ethanol, is is inherently less expensive to produce than the gasoline, um, because presumably it's cheaper to grow corn than to, you know, like get hydrocarbons out of the ground. So, uh, because one is just inherently cheaper, less expensive than the other, even if the price, even if the total price goes up because you, you still have a supply problem, the point is that it will, that, uh, producing fuel with, uh, the, with the more ethanol will always be cheaper than producing fuel the same fuel at the same time with less ethanol. It's kind of like, uh, you know, whiskey that is, that has water blended into it. Um, like most of what you buy on the shelf, it always costs less than the stuff that comes, you know, right out of the, out of the barrel that always costs more, uh, because water, the water is always cheaper uh, than the whiskey, even if you use Evian or Fiji, I think the only is unless, unless you are buying bottled water, at an oil and gas conference, in which case the reverse is true. But for the most part, the the less expensive ingredient. Um, so that was his point. And I don't know, maybe that's true. I, I got to think through that a little bit. But I, I still think that um, 
and that may be true, but I still think that a better, more sustainable solution, see what I did there, more sustainable, um, is to just let the market work itself out and stop trying to turn the dials. Uh, But that is a conversation for another day and perhaps um, another another podcast altogether. Uh, So anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to throw in those extra, uh, that extra food for thought there for those of you who are still working through that, uh, through that problem. Now, the other thing, what was the other thing that I wanted to say? Um, I don't remember. I don't remember the other thing. The ethanol, cheaper to produce. Um, I guess that's it. There is no other thing. Except I do need to say thank you to the sponsor of this particular episode of, well, by the way, welcome to the Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, which is the most, which is not the most, <laughs> which is... Uh, how does it go? Oh yeah, it's it, it's here on the Oil and Gas Global Network, OGGN, which is the largest and most listened to network of podcasts for the oil and energy industry. And this particular episode is made possible by our friends over there at Endress and Hauser. Uh, and I'm sure you know who they are because they've been around the industry for a long time. And uh, and you probably know them when it comes to things like measurement and instrumentation, and they do a fantastic job with all of that. Um, but but did you know? They're also bringing, uh, bringing their game to the, to the digital world and, and they're doing some fantastic stuff in the way of uh, digitizing all of that and making it all, making all of that, uh, all that equipment and metering and instrumentation work in the new, in the new, in the new digital landscape. Uh, so you can get the data that you need to do the analytics and all that stuff that we talk about on the show all the time. Also, I should mention that, um, they got some really they they have some really cool training facilities. In fact, uh, there's an episode of this show. It's it you got to go back. It's it's probably about a year ago, maybe more than it, I, I want to say it was January or February of 2021, and I did an episode with Anderson Hauser's very own Mark Thomas, and we were at the training facility that they built here in Houston. But uh, and I don't remember the details now, but they have a few of them around the country, and uh, and there's a video, so you can see the video. Go back, find the episode, look in the show notes, and it'll link you to the video um, because uh, it was one of those special episodes where we where we're also we also do a video and. Um, and you can see it's a cool place. It's a really cool place. And, uh, you get to, you get to do training, like actual hands-on training on the actual equipment that you're going to encounter on the field. And it's all built in this, uh, spectacular facility. So anyway, that's enough about them. Check out endress.com and, uh, everything you want to know is right there. Now, I think it's time to get to move on to our guest for today. And, um, and, and, and this is a, this is a subject, the subject that we, that we covered today is not one that we've really spent a lot of time on, or maybe any time on, on this show, at least in recent memory. And so I think, uh, so it's good. So it's good timing. It's also, um, it's, it's good timing because it's not, it's not boring because it's not the same thing you already heard, but also it's good mar- timing in the market because as the price of oil is coming back and rig counts are going up and, and, you know, exploration and development are becoming a thing again. Um, it, it's, but the market pressures are still there and making good decisions about which projects you're going to pursue, how you're going to, you know, high grade your portfolio and, and all, all the decision-making and analysis and everything that goes into that, uh, has always been critical, but obviously now it's, it's, it's probably, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's as critical as it ever was, if not more. 
So, um, so I'm not going to get, I'm not going to say any more because we cover it, we cover it very well, uh, here in the next, uh, uh, however many minutes it is. I don't remember. So ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm OGG and welcome to Jason Walker. And that does get us to our guest today. I'm sitting here in the uh, remote configuration with Jason Walker, who is, uh, of course, they just heard that. Uh, Before that snappy musical interlude, I probably said your name, but but, um, Jason's beaming in from, uh, um, what what, what do we say, Virginia, a couple hour or so south of D.C.? Is that what Yeah, about an hour and a half south of D.C. Hour and a half. So uh, anyway, but Jason, thanks for, I know, so I happen to know, because Jason and I have been talking about a few different things, and I know that your life is crazy busy right now. Like you're in the middle of moving and you're in the middle of like transitioning what you're doing with work. Um, and you made time to be on a podcast. So I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Everybody always says that. <laughs> nobody, nobody ever well, it was says, genuine. I meant it this time. Nobody ever says, yeah. Um, it's good. All right. Let's just do a little bit about uh, who you are, um, and, uh, and you're, and, and you've been with this company called, uh, IPA or what, what's the, it's independent project analysis, analysis. Right? independent project. Yeah. IPA is much easier to say. I don't remember. It is. And, um, and anyway, so, so tell us, so what's your story, uh, before we get into the main thing? So, yeah, I, I joined IPA in 2004, um, and been working there ever since in the research division. And, uh, I've been at a number of different roles there. And most recently, I've been the director, deputy director of research and product lead of our research division. And for those who don't know about IPA, uh, we are a, a data-driven, and that's really the, the key differentiator, uh, consulting company that focuses on capital projects. Um, yeah, yeah. I've heard it described as a money ball for capital projects. Money, money ball. Well, it's funny because data-driven, data-driven is 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 all the rage right now right right it's very much in vogue but uh, you could i think you guys could say that you were uh you were you were you were data driven before it was cool right that's kind of been your that's been the core of the business uh ever since uh ever since the beginning yeah we were founded in 87 when uh data was just becoming a thing uh big data and all that and so uh, statistics really drives all the insights that we uh we provide yeah yeah and it's funny because um, you know, you hear people all the time when they talk about the oil and gas life cycle, they talk about exploration, development, and production. And, but it's really like if you look it up, it's really exploration, appraisal, development, and production. So since you've been active in that uh, part of the, of, the, of the industry, what's, what's it all about? What happens in, in between exploration and development? What are, what are some of the things that happen there uh, just in terms of the, the business? Well, it- it does depend on the organization, but that, that is a key portion of a project where once you find an opportunity, evaluating whether or not that opportunity is worthwhile moving forward into the next phase of a project. And so that requires um, an enormous amount of data. Um, it often requires decisions based on lack of data. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, a cost of data or cost benefit type of analysis that you have to perform there because obtaining the appraisal information you need to make that decision is expensive. Drilling appraisal wells is expensive, especially in various parts of the world or offshore deep water. Um, 
it, seismic, shooting seismic is expensive, renting the equipment to do so, and the, the service vessels. And so obtaining that information to understand whether or not this particular opportunity is something that you want to pr- progress into the next phase of a project li- project life cycle. Um, yeah. And so th- I think that's a enormously important portion of a project and really is the uh, the key um, phase that bridges between exploration and development. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's interesting because I think sometimes people just imagine that um, that we go like if we, we go through all the usual exploration, you know, uh, you know, starting with, you know, surveillance and you're looking at like large basins and you're trying to figure out, you know, where the, where the money spots are <laughs> and, and, you know, you do all those things and you do a lot of stuff that you mentioned, right? The seismic and the, and you know, all the all other kinds of analysis and you end up with an exploration well that either has like a hooray at the end of it or a oh at the end of it, right? <laughs> and yes. I think and I think that we always imagine that if there's a hooray at the end of the exploration well, then then the next thing that happens is we start we start developing. Like you you, you plow right forward, right? But but in fact that's not the case. Um, do, do you do you see is it is it like a formality? Like okay, well we got to do some due diligence here, or are are hard decisions made to say that we're we're gonna we're, we're not gonna do this over here? Maybe because we want to do something else. Uh, it, it does depend, of course, um, and certain opportunities and environments. You, you and must world come prices. from a consulting company. Oh, yeah, that's right. It depends. Because so that's far, every question, answer. every question is it depends. I, I'm <laughs> I'm from the same cut from the same cloth, by the way. But go ahead. <laughs> yes. No, and that, that's the proper answer. So, uh, if you're in a high oil price environment and it's a tank type reservoir that you found, and it's look, you know, um, you don't really do, need to do much more due diligence to say, okay, this is attractive, and we're going to move straight forward. Um, most right. of the time, though, that's just not the case. Yeah. And in a marginal world um, with lots of different cost pressures, uh, you need to make the case that this is worth pursuing. Right. And that's where the rest of the appraisal comes in. And not only making the case that this is valuable to pursue, but how will you actually develop it? And is this a, you know, an FBSO tieback type of situation? Or is this, right. um, we're going to farm it out? Or is this something that we can maybe put up a, a TLP? Um, so all those types of decisions, how big is the host facility going to be? Right, right. Appraisal plays a significant role in that. The number of wells, the uh, right, right, the depth right. of those wells. and So this is when we get into things. like feed studies, right, and the front end and all of that, all that stuff. All right. And so, all the data that feeds that is, is the appraisal information. Is, is, is what the stuff. Okay, so um, uh, there was something I was going to ask you about. So, oh, yeah. Um, what do you see? So you, so you mentioned in a, in a, depending on the, what's happening in the industry and the cost pressure and things like that. What do you, so we all, so we've all been watching the industry for the last couple of years. Um, what, what, and, and, and maybe there's a shift right now because the price is friendlier, but, um, but I don't see people, that doesn't necessarily mean people are, I, well, the rig count is going up, but it's not skyrocketing. So, so what, what, what kind of, as you're working with your customers right, right now, what do you see, what, what are they thinking about and what pressures and what kind of decisions are they, are they, or what's impacting their decisions? Yeah, I, I think we're probably more cautious as an industry than we have been in the past, which is, I think, a good thing. Um, some of the, going back to 2014, as we were talking prior to the show, and the yeah. oil price crash that happened, uh, yeah. we had to make some important decisions at that point, uh, become more cost-effective, lean, scope everything, 
mm-hmm. make sure that we high graded our portfolio because we just couldn't um, succeed chasing these marginal opportunities. Right. And then, so that never really recovered. Then COVID hit yeah. and yeah. oil prices still. So even though prices have rebounded right now today, mm-hmm. um, I think we've learned some of those lessons that we had to learn yeah, the hard yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. Let's hope. Let's hope. Um, and I do, th- I, I do see that though uh, with the clients that we work with that there's more cautiousness. People are a bit more risk averse and being more careful and selecting opportunities and progressing those and spending the resources necessary to move things forward. The other nuance there that has uh, helped or maybe added some more pressure um, is the energy transformation and transition that we're going through. Um, for new energy. And so now there's new areas for us to focus on as well. And that also means that the oil and gas opportunities we have must be even more um, attractive if they're going to be progressed into the funnel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so it, it doesn't just automatically swing back to, to the Wild West and uh, everything. Um, I, it's funny you say, because you, you're not the first person uh, that I've heard saying, including hearing myself say it, uh, that we've learned, we learned some lessons between, uh, you know, 20, after 2014. Um, I, let's hope that, I mean, I think we have, it's, it's, it seems like the fiscal discipline is there. It seems like people are, are, are acting differently. They're making decisions differently. There's, there's a lot more at stake right now. Now, besides, besides all of the, all the free cash flow concerns and the investors expectations. Um, and we also have ESG concerns and we have, you know, so there's lots of, there's there's lots of things so i'm 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 so i'm hoping that i think i think i think it's true i think we've learned the those lessons let's just hope that the industry has learned the less the like learned lessons the hard way with less repetition than usually like in my personal life how many times it takes to to, to learn the hard lessons <laughs> yeah so well this isn't 2014 the pandemic and other oil price crashes this is not the first time so maybe this is but we have a short uh, memory, unfortunately, and that, still that there are there are yeah. some operators I think who have never met a reservoir that they don't like. Yeah, and that's just the nature <laughs> of it. But that is true. All right, so let's um, all right, so let's move move ahead a little bit. Um, you've launched this product recently. Uh, I think it's really cool. This product, True Cost. But what I think is interesting about it is um, it, it like it it's it, it's. Um, it's a different way of doing something that today uh, is done. Um, th- th- it's very painstaking, right? Um, and has a lot of risk associated with it. So it, let's understand the the way that people do this today. Um, we can't really appreciate what you what you're doing for the industry <laughs> until as we understand. Like like like, what are people? How are people? Get, like the data. Like where does it come from? How are they? What do they do with it? Like whose whose job is it to figure this out? Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Um, so yeah, so I think when you are trying to evaluate whether or not this opportunity that you found, this reservoir, is worth pursuing and worth moving to the next step, um, after gathering the information about the reservoir characteristics and doing enough appraisal, then it's a matter of, well, how much is this going to cost? How long is it going to take? Is it valuable enough? And then you start looking at ranges of information about around those types of data and one potential way that people use the data that's out there is to compare it with analogs. Okay, so there's another opportunity that's of similar size and a similar location, yeah, yeah, yeah. similar water depth, and that cost X. And so mine, if, if mine cost that, 
would that be an attractive opportunity or not? And so you start comparing different analogs, but those analogs and the data that's available is not always trustworthy. And so that's one of the key struggles. And so oftentimes companies are resulting or referring back to projects that they've completed because they trust that right. data, right. but they Assuming don't have they can the full it. suite. Assuming right. they of, can find of, the data, yeah, yeah. Of available data that might match their particular opportunities. Every opportunity is unique. And so right. that's the, ch- the challenge. Right, right, right. Um, um, and, and that always leads to this, this, um, this kind of, I mean, so, so what you just said is, here's yet another part of the industry where we have a lot of data, but we're not sure if it's right. And, um, <laughs> and, it, and it, which always leads to this, uh, this whole concept of public data, because, um, and this isn't the only part of the, the whole value chain where we try to use public data. We have kind of like, like the industry has this love hate relationship with public data, right? Because it's out there, whether, whether you pay for it, whether you pay a lot for it, whether you get it for free, like whatever, however you get it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, um, like, like what, like what's the public in this particular, in this particular, uh, nook of the industry where we're trying to figure out how much a project's going to cost to develop or wh- how much what the ROI is going to be. I mean, there is public data to help with that, right? There is. Yes. Uh, but a lot of it is whatever's been published by a, from a biased perspective, uh, which oftentimes is the owner themselves, the operator themselves to say, Oh, the, you know, we met all cost expectations and, you know, they might define it yeah. in their own nuanced way to make it sound like it was a success right. when in reality, you know, it was 5x that cost. Um, yeah, well, so, or, or is this like my grandmother's lasagna recipe where she gives it to you, but she doesn't really give it to you? Like she leaves a couple things out of <laughs> Yes, the, out I think that's picture. part of it. Definitions, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also so, kind of like the uh, your buddy in the golf course um, who tells a big wild tale. Uh, right, yeah. Yep. I guess you can make the data look however you want the data to look, right? Indeed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I got you. And I know, I, I know a little bit about this. There's, I mean, there's people in benchmarking teams, and they spend lots of time, you know, trying to like go through this data and gather. Just like every other part of the industry, where they're, they're, you got to gather it, you got to get it, you got to analyze it, because and eventually it has to, it ends up on somebody's desk who's going to try to make a decision, right? Um, so. Um, and, 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 and you guys, I know you've been working with customers um, for a long time. You've been, and, and let's go back to this thing you said at the beginning, that you're data-driven, and I said you were data-driven before it was cool. What, what is the um, – talk about that a little bit. Like what, what has IPA been doing um, with customers and data, even before you started putting out cool software products? Like what, what was that all about? Because sure. it, it's kind of an answer to that public data problem, if, if I understand it right. Yeah, it is. That's right. So yeah, our our, uh, our founder um, created the company on the premise that there are certain things that you can do and measure at the beginning of a project before a project is even started to predict the outcome of that project. Um, and so after analyzing large projects, large capital projects, um, he was able to discover that there are trends and there are key activities and characteristics that lead to success, project mm-hmm. success. And so he began to measure those, and that was the foundation of IPA. And then from those measurements and being able to, again, predict outcomes of projects based on those characteristics, uh, we began to evaluate hundreds and hundreds, thousands of different projects in different industries. Uh, specifically in the oil and gas industry, we've evaluated over 2,000 oil and gas mm-hmm. projects 
from start to finish. So that's not, not just at one point, but at various points within the project lifecycle. So we mentioned the appraisal phase um, right prior to project authorization, before the funds are um, actually approved. We come in and we'll evaluate the readiness of that project uh, and some of the, how, how the team is set up and what contracting strategy they've used and how, how uh, defined is the engineering and all of those matter and will yeah, dictate yeah. whether or not that project will have a good uh, have a, have success and whether or not that's in terms of cost or schedule or whatever it is right, out, right. Uh, operability right, right and then right. we come in at the end of the project and we work specifically with the project teams and native project documentation and we validate that information we normalize that using our expertise we use common definitions so that data is validated and robust at the back end of a project too so that we could say well how did it turn out so once we collect all of the practices that they did at the beginning and then evaluate what how did it turn out we can then statistically link those two and and continue to enhance uh, that relationship and, and develop new relationships yeah so presumably this whole concept of not just at the beginning and the end but kind of all along the way truing up as you're able to uh, to learn to kind of like is is it is it possible instead of just making a decision at the beginning and then going to the end and saying well let's see how it turned out like what can you do in the middle to help make your results you know keep you aligned to what's going to give you the best result? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I think a lot of it has to do with going back to the center and uh, reevaluating and coming back to the the basic fundamentals of what you're trying to accomplish and getting a new baseline and seeing how how you compare if you just start and then hope you meet it to the end make it to the end as you planned as you mentioned um, you, you're likely to deviate yeah, but if, yeah if you're always trying to come back to you know where where are we now and how does that relate to what we plan to do at the beginning and how does that relate to what industry is doing and always looking for that plumb line so to speak um, you have a much higher probability of, of achieving what you planned to achieve yeah, yeah, so so conceptually, like in the abstract, that makes sense. How to actually do that, and 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 I'm gonna. This is um, this is your big chance now because you've been very good so far this whole time. You've been very good about not. I, I know that you're you just launched a product and you and you're the product owner, um, and and you're very excited about it. And you've been very good about like like not going into a commercial for your new product. But but I think it's cool how it how it. Um, it's always neat when we see a product that comes along, a software product that comes along and really nicely fits a particular set of objectives in the industry that helps us not just do a particular task better, but um, but helps us like do a whole chunk of the business better. So, and I know that was kind of the, the driver behind the product. So, so how does so true cost like how does it help me with all of this stuff that that we've been talking about? Yeah, sure. So. TrueCost is a web-based application that we've developed at IPA that allows our clients to have direct access to our database uh, to obtain very quickly uh, accurate cost and schedule benchmarks at any phase within the project. And so the intention is to help improve decision-making. Um, it's to help um, those clients who are in that appraisal stage evaluate, is this an opportunity that's worth you know, progressing into the the next phase. Yeah, all that stuff even, we talked about, right? Yeah, yeah. all that. And it, and it does, the, the word true cost um, does uh, point to the fact that it, we're not basing this on public data. This is the true cost based on IPAs, very carefully validated 
and normalized data with common definitions uh, from the source, from the project teams and the companies themselves who have executed these projects. What do they cost and how long do they take based on all the different characteristics of those projects? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Um, I, I like the normalized part. So, <laughs> so. And, we're, and we have we're very careful about that. We, yeah, we realized early on that apples and oranges don't mix. Yeah. Okay. So explain. Actually, so I so that's I understand the the subtleties in the word normalized in this particular case, but explain that a little bit more. Like like why why is that important? So okay, so when you uh, compare a project that was executed twenty years ago in China versus a project that was executed today in Europe, uh, those projects will have very different cost bases, right, uh, currencies, right. um, escalation factors, all of those things. And yeah, so yeah, sure. uh, we normalize those to a common point in time and a common currency uh, so that comparisons are uh, appropriate. And we, use, we, ha- we have a whole group at IPA that specializes in cost normalization, and yeah, because it's not a simple thing. It's not like, nope. yeah, it's that's a complex thing, right? Okay, so what about also like the spin factor? Like, how do you deal with how do you deal with the spin <laughs> the spin factor? Yeah, so as you said, it, data can be spun, and so we, again, we work directly from the source, uh, collect data from the project teams that have actually executed these projects, and then we have our own analysts go, and it used to be face to face. At this point, it's been telecom, but we still look at people's faces to see if how they're you can look at you know, if they're lying yeah. to us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so we get that data and we run it through our again common set of uh, work breakdown structures and make sure that you know, the definitions are all aligned. That what's in one bucket is the same as what we are all the other projects we've collected. Um, and, yeah. and make sure that we're capturing all the costs, not just part of it, but all of it, so that that cost is reliable and the schedule of the data we have is reliable. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, so you're. So you're wise to the tricks, basically. You're like, as we say, as we say in Texas, it's not your first rodeo. Like That's you, right. You've uh, you've been there. All right. So, so let's say, uh, all right. Let's say I let's say I just listened to you explain that, and I was and I'm thinking to myself, holy cow, that's exactly what I need. Um, uh, but how do I? Uh, but so, you have all this. You have all these other people's project data uh, in in this, and, and you said it's web based, right? So so it's not like there's not like an implementation, right? Like you just like I presume I can just like sign up and use it, but, right. um, but, but how, uh, how do I, so there's all these other 2000 other projects in there, um, that have been normalized and despun and all that, but how do I like, how do I know which ones to compare to? Right. Like yeah, for my project, like how, which ones of those are like my project? <laughs> That's part of the art of the data science uh, component. And so it, we enable, our users to compare however they'd like. There's a set of uh, filter options available that you can use, things like project location, uh, resource size, so uh, barrels of oil uh, that you can compare against, reservoir characteristics, uh, reservoir pressure, temperature, those things, concept type is FPSOs or subsea tiebacks or you know fixed platforms, what, what have you. And so there's a whole host of ways that you can filter the data down into any nuanced way that you'd like to see it to see how projects compare. Um, we're not sitting behind the scenes telling you you have to look at these projects or this project or you know you must compare to this set of projects. We're enabling the users to do that on the fly. Yeah, the yeah. results are, are immediate. 
So that so that so what you described is kind of like it's like shopping kind of right like like I, like I want shirts for men you know in this side like with you know in this color range with like this like stripes that go vertically not horizontally because this vertical ones make me look like thinner and uh, but 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 it's it's are you able to provide so that's a common metaphor for how to like filter and, and find something yep. so that's good but are you able to like are are there are there are there enough parameters to to be able to say to to get really so that I have confidence that I'm I'm with something that truly is apples and apples with what I'm doing. Oh, absolutely, yes. Because so, I'm going to tell you that my shopping experience does not always end that way. So, <laughs> well, part of that is because oftentimes when we're shopping, I'll, I'll stay with your clothes metaphor. We uh, are a bit too optimistic about our waistline. Right, and we say, "Oh, I'm a 30 when I should be really a 34," and yeah. we buy a 30, and then we get home and oh, it doesn't fit. Of course, it doesn't fit. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so you have to be. I mean, it's never honest. happened to me, but I've heard of other people where that's. Happened of course, yeah, yeah. So you have to be honest in the project world. You have to be honest about what data you're you're comparing against uh, to make sure that it's apples to apples. Uh, but yes, there's plenty of parameters that you know that you can utilize. That maybe too many. Uh, so if you use all of them, you'll get no, you know very few observations, maybe none that match your criteria. And so oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. where the art comes in and specifying what are the most relevant ones for me that I'm going to choose to uh, filter on and then compare against. And oftentimes um, your situation dictates that. Um, there's also some consulting that we're happy to do to provide some, and that comes with the subscription. You know, you can call us up and we can say, okay, based on your situation, here are the, the heavy hitters that you should look at. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but we, we we want the users to be able to to help work through that themselves. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, okay, so uh, so if I'm if I'm following the kind of the the, the value train here, um, so going back to the, what we were talking about before, uh, where it's like, um, uh, well, what you really ought to do is is be evaluating, benchmarking, et cetera, throughout the, you know, not just at the beginning, uh, or, or, or just at the end. I think you, when we were talking earlier, I think you said that some people kind of just do it at the end, right? Like they just kind of, they just go to the, <laughs> they just show up at the end and say, uh, How do we do? Yeah. <laughs> is that, does that really happen? Is that a, that's it, a, it does. Absolutely. It happens. Uh, part of it is, you know, folks are always look, looking for more lessons learned. And so they'll come to us and say, okay, well, how did we actually do? And, and we're happy to help them with that, and we can compare them with others with, with similar types of projects and look for key learnings that then they can incorporate into future projects. My issue with doing that is I rarely see those lessons be utilized in an effective way, and I think that's you know the common problem with lessons learned is that we don't, we don't use them as we ought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that you said is really just like a lot of fancy code for who do we blame when it, right? <laughs> like, like the hero or the zero. Who's the hero and who's the zero? Yeah. Um, but in this case, uh, so could could you do this? Could you take could you take a tool like this? Uh, and what else would you need potentially to to apply that discipline? You know, or maybe do you have any customers who are doing that where they're applying this discipline of of uh, what did you say before? Like coming back to the center and always comparing. Like uh, is that is that is it, does this does this make that feasible more feasible than it would have been before? I think it does, absolutely. And that's one of the intentions of this tool is to help make that more feasible. And like I said, you can it's very quick and transparent to get the results. And so you could always come back throughout the life cycle. And I, just to expand on what you're saying earlier, I think that look back, a lot of people don't do it for probably 
two or three reasons. You you mentioned how painful it is. It is difficult to do, and mm-hmm. it can be painful um, if you don't have the proper processes to do that and right. questions to ask and ways to capture the information in a consistent way. Um, I think there's probably two other reasons. One is it, it it's a challenge to look in the mirror sometimes. Sometimes yeah. we don't want to look in the mirror. Yeah. And so the project ended, and we're glad it's over. And let's please, let's not look at that. Let's not open that wound again. Right, right, um, right. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the other reason, and I, we see this a lot, is um, if we do look back, well, what are we going to do with that information? And if you don't have a structured process for using that information, then then why do it? Right. Um, but true cost. Yeah, takes, that's a good point. Yeah, if you don't like, why why take the time to do something if you can't make use of it? There's no point in doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. True, yeah. true cost takes all of those folks who have actually gone through that painful, difficult mirror-looking process. Yeah. And have have that picture, that snapshot in mind, and allows you to look at it for yourself too with clear, mm-hmm. open lenses to compare to your project. And so that's that's really the the key here is that all of those people who have gone through that painful experience now, you have access to that data uh, to benefit your project. Now, does it include the contact information of the people who did that project so I can call them up and, and, <laughs> and say, and, uh, and like challenge them on their, uh, I guess not, you probably wouldn't. I'm afraid not. You, you wouldn't. No. That would be, that would turn it into a social media platform. I don't um, think you would want that even if you had access to it. No. Um, no, I think it's good because this is a part of, as you think about how do we improve um, how do we make the, the industry as a whole better at doing what it does so that it, you know, so that we can be, you know, be more profitable under tough economic conditions so that we can be cleaner and safer and all that. Like this is a part of the business that if we could improve how we do this, it could have a really big impact on the industry as a whole. Right. I, I mean, do you see that as a, as a, uh, you know, as kind of a linchpin in a lot of things? I do. I think then this is a great example of industry collaborating together, pooling data and resources together to help benefit the whole. Uh, and so that's that's really is IPA's uh, bread and butter. That's how we work. That's how we operate. We work with variety of operators and industries to pool those resources together to help feedback information. Then that would improve those industries. And this is this application is just a case in point. Yeah. So if I'm listening to this and I go. Wow, I got to get me some of that. Like, how, how, do, how do people learn more? How do people learn more about? Do they do they call you up? Do I just give them your phone number? What? Uh, well, you could always do that, but uh, I think a better way would you be have more more efficiency if you went to our website ipaglobal.com. Um, yeah. You could look at applications that we have to offer, and you could easily uh, find more about True Cost there. Uh, you could always send me an email if you wanted to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah, and we'll put and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, in fact, I saw, I, I, I saw the I saw the the, the webpage for TrueCost, and it's a nice little video you guys put together there. I don't uh, so whoever put that whoever put that you know because a lot of product videos aren't really all that great, but that one was really uh, nice. It, it, yeah, watch it know. for the catchy music, if nothing yeah, else. I wasn't going to say anything about the music, but the rest <laughs> of the video is really good. Great. <laughs> it's it's that's uh, no, very modern. The music is very modern. Okay. Well, Jason, thank you. Uh, I know. Uh, I know you got a busy life right now, and I told you that we would uh, we would be done by this very minute that it is right now. So so we're going to wrap up. Um, thanks for being on the show, though. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it too. Take All care. Right. Well, there you have it, folks. Jason Walker from IPA Independent Project Analysis. Uh, it's it's an interesting topic, and and like I said in the beginning, it's not one 
that we've covered much, but uh, but you, you can see you can see that uh, it, it's just another it's another great example of a, a spot a corner of the business that uh, can benefit so much from all the new innovation and the digital capabilities that we have. And I don't want to throw the buzzwords around, but they keep coming around and making things better. Uh, so that is good. Thank you again to our sponsor, Anderson Hauser. Uh, appreciate all they do, uh, not just for the show, but everything that they sponsor. Um, have a look at their, uh, have, have, I'm telling you, they're, 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 they've been around the industry for a long time. But uh, but they're very modern and very relevant in what they're doing. And uh, let's see what else. Oh, thanks to all the OGGN uh, crew for all the hard work. And uh, it's you know we're, we're we got we got more things coming this year. So so keep an eye out. Look look follow us follow us on LinkedIn, and then you, you won't miss anything. Uh, in particular, you don't want to miss the next episode of OGGN Unscripted, which is going to happen on May fifth. Now, I know that May fifth isn't necessarily a a very significant day in all parts of the world. But here in Houston, Texas, or pretty much anywhere in Texas, May 5th uh, is this phenomenon known as Cinco de Mayo, which is Spanish for May 5th. <laughs> and and uh, there's a whole history behind why we get excited about May 5th. And it's more exciting here than it is in Mexico, believe it or not. And so uh, I'm just going to throw that out there and say that the next um, and, and, and I, I should comment that it's, it's exciting and it involves uh, margaritas and a lot of other things. So, um, so the next episode of Unscripted is happening on Cinco de Mayo. And so you don't want to miss that one. We have some, uh, it was Kayla's turn to pick the guests this time. And, and, uh, she, she's got some great ones. Uh, uh, Dan and Ration. I, I think you guys are, are spectacular. You were fantastic guests on the last episode, but but uh, Kayla Kayla's bringing bringing her a game. We've got some really good guests coming next time. So um, I don't know. That's it. Don't don't miss it. It'll be on May fifth, three o'clock Central Time. That is going to wrap it up today. Thanks. I already thank the OGGM people. Oh, thanks to my uh, audio fixer guy, Mr. Mac Roman, who always makes it sound fantastic. And remember. Anytime you hear somebody saying something like, we are stuck in the 1990s, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe in some places it's true, but let's just stop saying it. Let's just stop saying it, and let's just say instead that we were tech before tech was cool. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.